Hello and welcome to a new series at the Celtic Down Under podcast, um, which we are now calling The Other Guys. I'm your host, John, and today I'm joined by the myth, the man, the legend. It's Jared Hill. How are you doing, Jared? Hey, good, John. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yes, I'm enjoying um, the beginning of our long weekend here in Sydney. I don't know if you have the yeah, same. same. Same, same good. Same in Melbourne, yeah. Good. I'm planning on getting extremely drunk, so I hope you're planning to do the same. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> I'm um, I'm going down to a place called Long Beach, which is south of Wollongong. Go to a nice. beach house. Yeah. So yeah, so um, we should really explain what the premise of the series is going to be. Um, really, it's just about getting the opinions um, and experiences of your non-quintessential Celtic fan. So pretty much non-Scottish and Irish fans. Like myself, you might be listening to the regular pod and think, why is an English lad talking about Celtic? For myself, I grew up in the southeast of England, in Kent. Um, I have two Scottish parents. Um, and as we all probably know, uh, Celtic's in your blood. You don't really get to decide who who you support. So, yeah, been a Celtic fan since I was a little kid. So, And we have, obviously, Jared, who's must have a similar experience, and we'll hear about it in this in this episode, um, being an Australian Celt. So, yeah, so let's just crack into it, I guess. Um so, Jared, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and, and how you became um, a Celtic fan. Yeah, so um, I'm over in Ange Postacoglu's hometown of Melbourne, Australia. There you go, cheap shot right there, <laughs> cheap pop. But yeah, from Melbourne, uh, grew up a Celtic fan, um, love the club, and yeah, just love football in general. And yeah, Celtic's been my team for as long as I can remember. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Um, so you say you're from Melbourne. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what the culture is like in Melbourne? What What's what's just the general Melbourne scene like? Uh, there's three or four main scenes. So Melbourne in general is sports mad. It's pretty much the sports capital of Australia. We've got uh, 10 AFL teams here, three A-League teams, an NRL team, a rugby union team, two basketball teams the national comp it's just sports mad and on top of that you've got lots and lots of laneway bars lots and lots of coffee they're probably the main things melbourne are known for and terrible weather that can be four seasons in one day yeah yeah it's um i've spent um periods of time in melbourne before i always think it's a, a very, very similar to most european cities it's probably the most european city in australia um yeah, the weather especially. <laughs> very hot summers, very cold winters. Yeah. Um, so just for people who don't really know, AFL is Australian rules football. Um, have you seen any games, Jared? I've, I'm very new to it and I think it's absolutely amazing. It's a spectacle to watch. That's what you say. For me, I'm, I can't stand the game. <laughs> I grew up here and what the game is now compared to what it was back in the nineties where it was a lot more gladiatorial and a lot more people would go man on man and they'd, you know, it was bigger guys, more muscular and they just, it was just like brutal. And now you see it and it's just more about running and endurance and team movement and presses and all this sort of stuff. The tactics in the game have evolved that much and it's not the same, but yeah, you have 18 men on, men on the field, six forwards, six defenders, six midfielders. And yeah, it's um interesting game. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good way of describing it. Um, I hate using the word, but uh, what's the soccer scene like? What's the actual football scene like? 
Okay, so it's a bit of a strange one because the league over here with the A-League, it only came in around 2004, 2005, something like that was the talk of it. So before that, it was the old NSL, so the old National Soccer League. So we talk about old soccer and new football. So if you go back to the Soccer League, it was a lot of clubs that were founded by immigrants. So you had a lot of Italian clubs, a lot of Greek, which is South Melbourne, Hellas, which is where Ange has come from. You've got the Italian teams like your Carlton, you've got Marconi in Sydney, but just in Melbourne in general. Then you've got a lot of Croatian teams like Melbourne Knights, which is where Mark Viduka came up through. And then you've got Serbian teams like Springvale White Eagles and that sort of stuff. And it's just a lot of immigrants. There's English clubs. There's a couple of Scottish clubs. They're all around the place. So, yeah, it's more built on the clubs that were not just about the football, but they were like a community club where, say, if you went down to the Knights Club in Sunshine where they are, they've got an actual venue there. So they've got their football field, but then they've got an actual building there where there's a bar, there's they have events there. I know Croatian people, I know a couple of people who got married and they had their wedding reception there. So they're all around the community and people getting involved. And yeah, it's just, um, so you had that. But then when new football come in, they wanted to get away from the dark days of the ethnic clashes, especially you had when, when the old NSL, when you had South Melbourne were playing against the, the Knights, you had the Croatians and the Greeks and there was always good fights. Mm. So they wanted to get away from that. So what they started the A-League and it was one team, one city, and it was they deliberately went out and built these teams without any – or brought the teams that didn't have any ethnic affiliation. So Perth Glory came through from the old NSL – and they don't have an ethnic affiliation. Melbourne Victory were the first team down here. Funny thing about them, the colours, navy blue and white, the original board, majority Scottish business people, the um, first coach, Scottish. So they tried to get away from ethnic, but when you know a bit about the club and how it was set up, it's pretty much a Scottish club. Mm. So, um, yeah, you've got that. Then you've got – nowadays you've got the NPL, so National Premier Leagues – and that's where those old NSL clubs tend to be playing at the moment, along with other clubs that have built up over the years. So there's a really good local scene for football, but it's very under the radar because football in general is probably uh, probably about the f- fourth or fifth tier in terms of professional, in terms of what gets the coverage in the media in Australia, but... In terms of grassroots participation, football and basketball are the two highest. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's definitely um, something that I've noticed of my time living in Australia. Um, I, I think I think there's a, a caliber of person that um, watches football. I mean, obviously, they call it soccer here. There's, it, it's it tends to be someone who's not very interested in any of the rugby's because there's obviously uh, there's a union at the national level it's a couple of t- like league teams and stuff and then and then there's rugby league which is very very popular here and then AFL maybe cricket now and again but then football seems to be just this thing you have to have some sort of affiliation with Europe you have there has to be a connection if you're if you're a football fan here um and i really think that uh 
it needs more attention because the standard's pretty good. It's not, um, I was definitely impressed when I started watching it recently. I don't think it's as uh, dire as some people make it out to be. Um, yeah. So, and, and it's interesting to hear about all of the history about the different teams and stuff. Um, so just, do you want to elaborate a little bit on, um, your history background, the background of, um, you growing up and stuff and how that, influence you being a Celtic fan like much like myself it wasn't really much of a choice um was that the same for you or did you become a Celtic fan it's um it's a strange one because it's in the family um my family in particular probably you go back the majority of them are either from Ireland or Scotland and they're Catholic mm-hmm. so I think that pretty much says it all yeah it's um I don't really have much choice it's not like I was going to go for Rangers or go for and any English team like so I was a Celtic fan for years um used to go in watch the games over here back in the 90s and stuff and um yeah it was uh it was interesting because being a Celtic fan over here growing up was pretty weird because a lot of people all you had on TV was other than the old old firm games you had a lot of the, the EPL games on TV so I got mates who grew up with it are crazy Liverpool fans Man United fans um, one of those Man United fans is the reason I know who Ange is because he took me to a South Melbourne game back in, I think it was about 96 or 97 or something like that when Ange was, just took over. So, um, yeah, it's um, – so and then I got a guy who was a Chelsea fan as well before he became – before they got Abramovich's money involved. So, yeah, it's more people over here were – at that point in time, it was either you're an EPL fan or – if you're Italian, you had your Ital- Italian heritage. You'd have your who's your who's your team in this area are. Yeah, there's a lot of Juventus fans. There's a lot of Roma fans, Lazio fans. The two Milan clubs have big supports over here as well. So that's pretty much what it was like growing up. I was I was the odd one out. Yeah, yeah, that is exactly the same in the southeast of England. Obviously, um, it was either may- maybe local teams um, like Gillingham, possibly um, or Charlton or it was London teams. And then there's me, the Celtic fan. <laughs> and, you know, you, you copped pelters for it and um, and then you got to, you know, chuck them back when you beat teams like United and stuff. But yeah, yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah very, very similar. To, um, the funny thing with that though is if you're, if you're out somewhere and there's not a lot of our fans around and you see the top, it's just like, I want to go over and talk to that person. A hundred percent, yeah. It, it's just such a distinctive top where if you could be out and you could see a bunch of people in – the old football tops and so many clubs that are red and white stripes or black and white stripes or just red. And if you see the green and white hoops, there's probably two clubs from Europe that, that come to mind straight away. It's either a Celtic top or it's a sporting Lisbon top. Pretty much. Yep. Yep. And, and, and even then you can kind of tell, you can kind of tell the difference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and I always, I always got, um, English people asking me why are you a Celtic fan but I never once in my life have ever got it from a Scottish person never once I think that says a lot um, <laughs> so uh, yeah I think um, I think you might have uh, touched on it previously but um, do you follow an, um, an A-League team then is that, is that do you have a particular home team here yeah I'm a uh, Melbourne Melbourne Victory fan and season ticket holder Brilliant, yeah. And um, and what's what's it like being a Victory fan? Is it similar, comparable to being a Celtic fan? Is it got a passionate um, fan base and stuff? 
at the moment, it's just as toxic as being a Celtic fan in terms of <laughs> everyone's against the board because um, Victory have the, the, the largest season ticket holder count in the league. They're one of the bigger clubs. They're, other than the most successful clubs in the league history are you had Sydney FC who have won a couple of titles recently and then there's us and Brisbane. They're your main, your main three most important clubs but in terms of winning overall championships. But, yeah, the problem we've had is we've had um, Ange left, Kevin Musket took over. Muskie left after about five or six years and two titles or something like that. With um, We had an ageing squad and we didn't recruit well. We brought in a coach who I thought would do well, but he was rubbish. Then we had another guy come in, didn't even last three months, then another guy. And, yeah, then this year we've come last for the first time ever in the league. So wow. With uh, we had Grant Brebner, one for the Scottish listeners. Yeah, we had um, the ex-Hibs player. We had him as our manager majority of this season until he left not long ago. But, yeah, it's um, it's been a disappointing couple of years, but we've got a new manager coming in and hopefully we can kick things off and get going again. But, yeah, the fan base is huge. Um, but, yeah, it's in a similar situation as Celtic at the moment where the fans, majority of the fans aren't happy with the board. Is it a transition period as well, though? Has there been some- Yeah. Yeah, I'd say we're in a similar situation now. Takes me back to when Ange Postacoglu left Brisbane Roar and come down to victory for that one season. On a similar sort of spot now to we were then. Yeah, right. Okay, so really, um, expectation and history is a lot higher than current performances. Yep. Yeah. Um, do you? I mean, it might be a bit of a silly question because I think Melbourne's been having COVID spikes. Um, up and down for the past well, year and a half, really. But um, ha- have you managed to get to many games as a victory fan? Last season was an absolute shambles because of our lockdown mm-hmm. that we had. Um, I managed to get to two games this last season. That was it because I've been a season ticket holder with a reserve seat for going back probably five, six years at least. And then this year they changed it all. So it was you paid it for a membership of the club which meant you have access to then go and buy a ticket. Oh. And it was, tickets were supposed to be at a reduced price, but they're not. Like, if I wanted to go to a game, like case in point, like me and my missus, like she was a victory member long before I was, but I was going to these games. So she would, um, for the two of us to go, it was about 130, 150 bucks or something to become a member. And then to go to a game, we had to then pay like, $25 a ticket or something like that, plus a $5 booking fee. And on principle, the booking fee shits me because I'm like, well, I've already paid for a member. Why am I having to pay for a booking fee? Yeah. So it's like for us to go to a game, it was we paid $300 in the club, but now we've got to spend another $55 just to get tickets to go to a game. Mm-hmm. And when you did the maths over the course of the season, it was going to work out probably three times more more expensive than it normally would be. So I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that's what I'd ask, but the way they, they also tried to have everyone separated in the stadium. Didn't work. Like you had to have a gap of three seats between everyone. So like we normally sit three or four rows back from the corner flag mm. on the side where the benches are. So the opposition team were warming up in front of us. And first home game, we we're like third row on the top deck, in the top deck right at the back. And I'm like, this isn't what I'm paying for. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I'm sure that's the same system that Arsenal have. A lot of my friends 
about Arsenal fans. So that and I'm sure that's the exact same way they do it there. I think it's, it's atrocious, but um, yeah. Do you, um, so it sounds like um, you get to as many victory games as you can at the moment, but um, or, or you can stomach is probably the better way of saying that. Um, do you manage to get? Do you manage to see many Celtic games whilst you're in Melbourne? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kind of have to with the podcast we run and everything. Yeah, it's a silly question, but <laughs> uh, we say them all the time. Um, I think over the last season where it was not the best football, I was I think I missed probably two games, but then watched them on the replay anyway. So yeah, yeah. easy to watch games. So happy with that. Yeah, it's um, there's a couple that are worth staying up for. Um, and I mean, because, you know, it's probably somewhere between 9 p.m. and 11 p.m. You probably stay up for those. The 4 a.m. ones, God, you have to be dead passionate. <laughs> Especially oh, if, you've got, the worst. if you've got work at 9 a.m., you really have to be very disciplined and go to bed at a certain time. And then, it's yeah. not even that, though, John. What it is, is if we qualify for the Champions League, so you're playing in Europe Tuesday or Wednesday, then we play Saturday in the league. So when it's a Saturday midday kickoff, it's either a 9 p.m. kickoff or once daylight savings has changed overall, it's 11 p.m. kickoff. Mm. So it's easy. And if it's a Saturday night, who cares if it's the later game? Exactly. You're out anyway. Have a few drinks. Have a bit of a sing song. Hang around. Watch the game. Go home when the sun's coming up. Whatever. But when it's a when it's a Sunday night, and you got a 4 a.m. or a 2 a.m. kickoff for a 3 3 p.m. kickoff there, and it's 2 a.m. here. I mean, the game won't be over till four, so you either got to go to bed early, sleep, get up, watch the game, go back to bed for a couple of hours, and then get up and go to work, or you just get up early, and then you're absolutely shattered by about three p.m. that <laughs> afternoon, and your boss is like, "What's wrong with you? Why aren't you with it?" <laughs> so you kind of like. So I actually think it ties back to if we qualify for Champions League, it's actually better for us Australian fans <laughs> over here because. The European games are at a decent hour for us. Like if you get up at 5 a.m. or whatever, watch the game, get ready for work and off you go. It's perfect. Mm. But so the European games are no issue, but it's the league games on the weekends that if we can get into the Champions League, it's better for us over here to watch the game, the league games because on Mm. Sunday night is not ideal. So, um, yeah, just remember that Celtic players. Just remember... You need to get to Champions League for your Australian Celtic fans. No other reason. It's just the Australian Celtic. Absolutely. <laughs> Help us out. What's <laughs> a favour? Yeah. I always um I, I find it easier to not um find out scores and stuff, you know, just embargo social media until you get home from work and then you can sit in the game on straight away or, you know, sit down with dinner and stuff and but if you ever tried to do that. You know, you've you've probably got colleagues who support the other team or support the same team as you. You know, they want to come and say, oh, did, did you see the game last night? I'm like, no, I haven't. Told, don't tell me the score. I need to wait until I get home. The whole social media blackout is a prick of a thing to try and do. Yeah, yeah, because because you know, because we're all addicted, and you, all you got to do is you got to flick a little bit, and then you see the score, and you're like, ah, oh, god damn it. So yeah, I just I just ban myself from going on it altogether. Um, so yeah, so is there um. Big CSCs in Melbourne. Is there many Celtic fans in general? If there's no CSCs, there's um, a very large Celtic fan base in Melbourne. To the point that there's three CSCs. Mm. So there's the Jockstein CSC, which I go to, which are based out of Richmond. Um, they're the main one down here. We've had games like where there's been 200 people in there, and they're turning people away at the door. 
Then there's the Melbourne number one CSC, which is the one I went to back in the 90s, which was the original one. They used to have massive turnouts. We had, I remember they were going to a game one time. There was like 300-plus people there at the old Celtic club. And they're upstairs and downstairs. They had the place packed. So but they've um, the Celtic club has now shut down and moved to a smaller venue. So, yeah, they're, um, they had a, I think, turf bar or something in the city. So I don't know what their turnout's like. I haven't been there probably five, six years for a game. And then you've got the um, the social salts down in Mornington, which is down on the eastern side of the of the bay, about forty five minutes to an hour from Melbourne. They get a real good turnout as well down at their pub, and yeah, they've got a real good support down there as well. So yeah, really good fan base here in Melbourne, and and I can only see it growing now that we've got a fellow Melbourneian as the new Celtic manager. Mm, absolutely. Um- I think it's probably worth mentioning one of the real disappointments that that happened this year um, was Melbourne, um, the Jockstein CSC were organising one of the biggest uh, Celtic festivals in the Southern Hemisphere, which is the Huddle Down Under. Um, and because of COVID, another a third wave spike, they've had to just cancel it um, again. So, and it doesn't look like it's probably going to happen, which is a real disappointment and a, a real shame. And I think everyone's gutted. Um, for them, really, more than yeah, more than us. Twice it's happened. They did it for it's supposed to be every second year. So it was supposed to be on in twenty twenty last year, and they did all the planning and working, and then we got locked down for like six months, and then they pre-planned it all again this year, got it all ready to go, and then about two weeks before we had another lockdown happen that we're coming out of just now, but it's still not like we're only allowed to go twenty five k's from home, so. And you've got to wear masks and all that. So that doesn't really work. And that's indoors and outdoors. So that doesn't really work for having a big festival where everyone wants to sing song and get in a room and talk and all this sort of stuff. You're not going to be able to fit everyone in. So yeah, appreciate all the work that the team down at the uh, Jockstein CSC putting trying to put that event on over the last couple of years. It's um, unfortunate that it didn't happen, but I'm sure we'll all get together at some point and uh, celebrate going yeah. forward but yeah 100% yeah I um, second that massive appreciation to those boys that organised that over two years um, and I guess we'll we'll raise a beer to you lot because I imagine it was incredibly stressful yeah real shame but um, I guess that's the times that we live in just now um, so yeah so um, moving on to the next question which is an always, an always a doozy I think um, do you have a favourite Celtic player for all time, not a recent one, just for all, all time. Yes, I do, and he happens to live in Sydney. His name is Paul McStay. <laughs> that is a good, good favourite player to have. The first Celtic guy I remember from my youth seeing him play and just being like, he's too good for us. With how bad our team was, he was too good for – if he was in the modern day, you'd think they'd leave for a better pay packet or whatever, but he was just – one of us and yeah, the loyalty he showed to the club through the dark times when he was playing, like can't think can't think of anyone better. Absolute yeah. fucking legend. Absolute legend. Yeah. Um and he's he's um I think he's been known to be popping around some of the Sydney CSEs now and again. Um keeps it very low profile, but when he shows up he's, oh, he's Christ. Just there. Yeah. No one knows he's coming and he's banging it's like 
Hang on a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, there's been I've seen lots of photos and stuff. I've never actually had the privilege of meeting him, but yeah, um, I think um, my favorite. I would. E- I think it's easy to say Larson. I think it's easy to say Larson, and it probably is if you were to test my arm. But I've always got a massive soft spot, uh, soft spot for Bobo Baldi. He was always. I always quite enjoyed singing that song. Bobo's going to get ya. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, I, Paul McStay is a great um, favorite to have, and he was, yeah, an absolute, he's a, an icon, a legend. It's just not even the right words to describe him. But um, do you have do you have a particular favorite moment of his, or just a favorite Celtic moment in general? Not a favorite of his, but a favorite in general, and it's going to come with an Australian slant on it. The invincible treble, Tommy Rogic scoring that goal. I was at a CSC, I was talking about earlier, the Jockstein CSC, 200 people in a place, they were turning people away to then have an Australian score that goal when you're in Australia at the CSC watching it together. Never heard, my ears are ringing for two or three days after, I've never heard any roar that loud, even at a stadium before. It was just insane. Probably because the echoing of everyone in there as well made it worse, but it was just unbelievable. Yeah. There was one bloke in there wearing... A, a, a rugged shirt, not knowing what was going to happen. I think he ended up crowd surfing at one point, being lifted <laughs> up. People dousing him in beer. There was broken glass and stuff all over the floor. It was just a mess, but it was the best night. Yeah, what that, that's that? What a sporting moment! Not even just a Celtic moment. That's just a an incredible sporting moment. Um, I, I, I was at that game. I was my uncle managed to get us tickets. Um, and I, I, yeah, it was very similar scenes in the, in the stadium, to be honest. Um, I don't think anybody crowd surfed, mind you, but yeah, we all went mental and got very drunk afterwards. Yeah, that's a good moment. That's a very, that's a very, very good moment. I think um, I quite, I, I always seem to really, it always sticks to my mind uh, quite strongly, the 3-3 City game where the ballet did the overhead kick. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great, uh, I guess they're very modern moments though. Do you know what I mean? I think that's sort of, um, sort of testifies how well we've been playing recently um, and how terrible it last season was, to be honest, to have these moments. And then in the space of probably less than 12 months, it all just to collapse. Well, the thing with me with these moments is it's what's going to be a good moment for me is going to be different to you or to any other Celtic fan because it's all about how you felt in that moment. And there's other games where I've been and watching CSCs and stuff in the past. And like back in the 90s, how we used to watch the games at the CSC was people would send that record all the games for a month on VHS, mail them over, and we get in on a, over a weekend or two and watch the games. Mm. Like that was how we did it. And then you had the magazine British Football Week that we'd get, and that'd give you your scores and tell you where everything's going. And in the late 90s, this is even before the internet really kicked off. So and then that was always two weeks behind anyway. So for us to find out how our team went in a, in a derby game or in Europe, unless it was reported on our on SBS over here, which was the main one that showed the, the soccer or football over here, we had no idea. There was no internet to look things up. So it's kind of hard for me to have a lot of the same sort of memories going back before that time because I can be at a CSC watching a game on a tape, but that match happened four weeks ago. Yeah. So it's not going to be the same. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I totally get that. I mean, like, similar, I guess, um, 
growing up as a kid in the 90s, I remember flashes of games and stuff, and I remember really vivid moments and stuff. But um, I think it, you have to wait till you're an adult. You have to wait until you're sort of uh, in your mid-20s into ourselves days and whatever, um, where you sort of those really stand out games and you're like oh i was there you know i was in the crowd or i was you know in the csc that those are the those are the st- type of stories that you tell your kids and your grandkids one day do you know what i mean those are like the really big moments and and that you're right that changes for every celtic fan depending on age and and you know time of celtic and all that stuff so yeah um look the next question i think we should probably just blend this in until what we discussed previously um and the final finally we've appointed a manager um and we'll just yes, yes come on thank god um, Get in the game. <laughs> um and we'll blend we'll blend the the two questions in um so really how do you think jared next season is going to go and we'll blend that in with what you know um and just like as a manager um and um his particular style of football and stuff how do i think next season's going to go I think the minimum requirement is we need to win the league. Yeah. That's above all else because it's direct access to Champions League. That is how I think next season's going to go. Do I think Ange can do that? Absolutely. With the right, but the thing there is with the right recruitment. Mm-hmm. Now, the way his teams play are exciting, they're aggressive, they score a lot of goals. My concern and what's going to take time for him this season is he requires his players to be in peak physical shape and fitness. Mm-hmm. And you see how unfit our guys were last season where he got through a whole year and a guy like Lee Griffiths still isn't fit. And Albion and Yeti, he never got fit. He played the first five or six games, put in four, four or five goals, and then he was never deemed fit by Lenny. And Ronnie had the same issues when he took over from Lenny in the first place that there was massive fitness issues. That's going to be the biggest issue for the current players. Getting up to fitness, being fit enough to play the way Ange wants them to play. They'll buy into it. He's a quality manager. He knows his stuff and he builds good programs everywhere he's been. I have no doubt about that. The key thing for us is going to be if we lose Edward, Ayer and Christie, who are we going to replace them with? And are our guys going to be fit enough? to run out the season and press the way his, game, his teams do, pressing run, 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 and score the goals we need to close that gap with Rangers. Because if if you reverse what happened in the derbies from this year into next year, that's an 18-point swing. So we're still seven points behind them. So realistically, mm-hmm. how are we going to address that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, We need goal scorers. We need to be fitter. We need to be the team running over the top of guys. Like when Rogers was the manager, you'd get to the 85th minute, it's two, it's one all, and you'd be like, oh, no, we're fine. We'll score in the 90th minute. We're fit enough. The other team's slowing down. You had that confidence in, in your team and what we're going to do. And then last year, you'd be like, oh, we're going well. It's 55th minute. We're going well. But in the next five or 10 minutes, we're going to run out of legs. Yeah. So I think fitness is actually going to be a key point and recruitment is the other key point. Does um does what's what's Ange's um 
uh, take on on recruitment is it very much it has to be the right type of player that Ange wants or does he is he known for maybe saying here's the type of player um here's my criteria i trust you guys go find me somebody i think he's very hands-on from what i've heard about when he was at brisbane rule he let go three or four senior experienced pros who had been there for years guys who had played at like man city and guys who played at Rangers like Craig Moore, those sort of guys, and he let them go. And some of the guys he brought in, you're looking at them like, who's this Thomas Broich coming in from Germany? He's a no-name player. Who's this Bessart Berisha coming in as well? Now, Berisha's the all-time leading goal scorer in the A-League. Broich is the most Johnny Warren medals, which is league MVPs, mm-hmm. best player in the league. He's done it like three or four times. So I think it was three times. So you get guys like that where he knows this is the sort of player I need. This is the sort of mentality I need. Find me that. And then if they give him a list, he'll be hands-on going through, okay, here's a list of five. Who do I want out of this five? And then he'll push it to get it through. Because from what I've heard with Berisha is he wasn't sure if he wanted to move his family out to Australia. He ended up doing it after – three months of negotiations and Ange calling him up. Hey, Bessart, you should come out here. Come on, I really want you here. You're the sort of player I want. And this guy had been a journeyman in the lower leagues of Belgium and Netherlands and Germany. And come out here, he worked at it and worked at it and worked at it, got him out here. And now him and his family are all Australian citizens and live here in Melbourne and aren't leaving, even after he retires. Shows the sort of guy Ange is. If he wants something, he knows what he wants. He'll push after it and get it. Yeah, right. That's that's really good to be honest. That at least he's. Um, I think it's from what you're saying is he's more likely to say here's here's the list of criteria of the player that I want, and then is not someone to piss about when you don't hit number one plan A. You go fine plan B, and then you make sure you get that player in. That that we say that's fair of what he's like. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's that's encouraging. And I think a lot of um, other Celtic podcasts and a, a lot of the chat on the forums and stuff has been a worry that obviously it's very positive to hear that he's a very attacking style manager that suits Celtic's um, you know style of play and stuff like that. Does is that just in other words? Does he completely neglect defence or would you say that actually that's just a case of modern football? You know, you've got your two fullbacks that are very attacking, overlapping wingers and playing from the back and stuff like that. He still has quite a solid defence, but he wants to score goals and be exciting. I think it's a bit of both, to be honest with you. He doesn't neglect his defence, but he's openly admitted that he likes to play the sort of football that him and his dad would have liked growing up, like watching growing up. Now, He's come through South Melbourne when they were managed by Frank Puskas. So, sorry, what was that name? Is that Frank? Frank Puskas, oh, or okay. however you say it. The guy who the Puskas Award is named after. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's come through that club where he managed, and they played attacking, aggressive football. It's ingrained in the guy. That's what he likes. That's how he likes to play. So the mindset tends to be of all his team's coaches, if we concede three, we're going to score four but he will recruit guys who can play with the ball on the on the deck. Wingers, uh, wing backs will get forward, but they don't neglect their defensive responsibility. 
Yeah. That's that, and that suits us down to the T, really, isn't it? That's kind of what. Um, I actually think someone like Greg Taylor will thrive under Ange. Like a lot of people aren't massive on him. Taylor is good defensively, but going forward, he needs that confidence instilled in him and he needs to develop. Mm-hmm. And I actually think Ange would be a great guy to get in and teach him that and develop him and build him up. Yep. I think Taylor is massively underrated. I think he, well, I think you definitely saw. An improvement over the season with him and I think some of his um, crosses in and his attack and play just got better and better so yeah I totally agree I think that suits somebody um, somebody like um, Ange 100% um, is he a manager that is likely to bring players from previous teams he's managed at with him is he that type of manager or only if it works where he can sort of style I don't think so because he just hasn't done it anywhere else like when he was when he left South Melbourne, he went into the Australian Junior, the under-17, under-20s national team, so he couldn't do it there. Then yeah. he went to Brisbane, and he didn't really do it. He just came in, assessed the squad, made what changes and recruited and went forward with it from there and built a squad. Melbourne victory, he didn't do that. Then he went to the Australian national team, so he couldn't do it. Then he's gone to Japan. So mm-hmm. he hasn't really done it. Like. How he tends to do it is in his backroom staff. He'll bring Australian guys with him or guys that he's worked with previously. But on the playing front, not really. Yeah, right. Um, There's a couple of guys in Japan who have been linked with him that he's left. And then the next day, they've handed in transfer requests and signed with an agent who's well-known in Japan for moves to, to Europe. So one's a winger and one's a defensive midfielder. So maybe they're people he's already talking to and about wanting to get over there. But they're not from Yokohama. Mm-hmm. There's a striker over in Japan as well that's been linked out here, an Australian guy, Adam Taggett, used to play at Fulham. Mm. Maybe he'd be someone worth getting in. Worst case scenario is not going to be worse than Klamala was, so yeah, get him in. Then there's another story floating around today about as a goalkeeper because of how bad our current situation is about trying to get Matt Ryan up from Brighton. He was on loan at Arsenal last year, the Australian number one. If we could get him in, I'd be doing a cartwheel. Yeah, yeah, 100%. He's a, he's a great keeper. So yeah. it's the sort of what positions do I need to fill in the squad? Because if you look at the Celtic lineup at the moment, Bruni's left, so we're going to need another defensive midfielder. Alanusi's leaving. We're going to need another winger. They're those two Japanese guys that we've been linked with. We're down to pretty much a Yeti as our striker, If ever the, once Edward leaves, to be honest. So we need another striker. That makes sense. A goalkeeper situation needs fixing. That's great. And then the one the other one they're talking about is Harry Souter, who come through at Dundee United and plays for the Australian national team. Maybe he's worth looking at as well as a centre back. He's like six foot six. Put him with Julian there, but he can play with the ball at his feet. Like those sort of guys that I'm hearing that he's been we're being linked with already. All of them, I think they do a good job. Yeah, but none of them currently plays for Ange. Yeah, right. So it's more likely that he um, will bring in people that he's aware of through his profession. Um, do you think it's also fair to say that maybe he hasn't had the opportunity at a team to take players with him the way that other managers do? Yeah, correct. Because in Australia, we've got a salary cap in our league. So yeah. that makes it hard. And in Japan, well, because it's an, in a, like in Asian Confederation, all the leagues have a rule where it's like three plus one. Mm-hmm. Australia's got a four plus one rule, so we've given it one extra. But in your squad, you're only allowed to play three foreigners plus one from another confe- member 
of your confederation. So mm-hmm. if Ange was to bring two Australian guys into Yokohama, then he'd only be able to have two foreigners. Like he's got a, a Serbian guy, he's got a Brazilian guy there. Are you going to want two Australians or are you going to want to have one of them? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so maybe um, this would be – he might – change it up or you might just pick um like we were saying before a criteria list and say find me players whatever um that meets these particular criteria i mean that's striker john sorry to cut you off that's been sorry. hearing stories about as well was jamie mclaren who played at hearts not long ago and plays at melbourne city over here mm. three-time golden boot winning striker in the a-league um I think he played like 18 games for Hibs or something like that and scored seven goals or something. So he's done it in Scotland. I'm not 100% certain, but he has developed since last time he was in Scotland. And on a completely selfish thing, not just being Melbourne, but McLaren is from my actual hometown within Melbourne. Yeah. So if he comes in, dude, it is on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of what you want um, out of any sort of managerial appointment is for him to have connections. And I think that's probably some of the worry that a lot of Celtic fans have is like, because he's a complete unknown, we're unaware of any of these connections that he has. And it's good to hear that actually it's quite widespread. Um, it's overarching across the world with different countries. And we might find that he does bring in these gems from uh, leagues and nations that are a bit under the radar, like Japan and Australia and stuff. So the funny thing is, though, it's not just him over in like o- Oceania and Asia Confederation where he has that knowledge. Because when he was at Brisbane, he's recruiting guys from the lower leagues in Germany, guys from Belgium, guys from Holland, that sort of stuff. So he's got an understanding of that. Plus, when he was the Australian national coach, he was in Europe every month or every second month going and watching players, whether they're in Scotland, in Italy, in down in the Balkans, up in Norway. In England. So he spent four years doing that, traveling around, going into clubs, watching people train, in that he would have built a bunch of connections on top of what he already had just while doing that as well. Mm. Yeah, that's and and that's what we need. We and if he brings some, you know, Australian coaches with him and, and has all those connections across Europe, then we've kind of found the manager that we've all been crying out for, right? We've been asking the Celtic board to do something different and, you know, think outside of the box and, and, you know, suit everything. And, and they've done that arguably. And we still have people whinging on forums about who is this guy? I don't, I don't know him. Therefore he must be terrible. It's kind of, I mean, you haven't even thing I said on Axon, a lot of fans wanted someone more famous, not the best coach. Because he's exactly more well-known and famous than Ange Postacoglu. Yes. But when you look at their CVs as managers, I'd take Ange every single day of the week. And the reality of it as well is we can't we can't financially compete with other smaller, let's be honest, Diddy teams in bigger leagues where they can offer and I'm thinking Southampton right now because that's how that's who Howe's connected to now. I mean, going from potentially Celtic to Southampton, I don't know if you saw um what's his name, Simon Jordan or whatever it is on on Talksport yeah. talking about how Howe's a coward, totally conformed to that. I think it is. It was a complete cowardly move to go from potential folklore fame at Celtic and getting a lot of respect to then going to Southampton and being mediocre. And how how is Celtic ever going to compete with the wages that South, that Southampton can pay? We're not in that, so we do have to go with sometimes like an Ange. Probably controversial problem. right here. It's a bitch move. That's what it is. I really totally agree. Carrying on for that long, like if you're going to ask me, 
we should have been harsher with him and said, you've got 30 days to make a decision, yes or no. If not, jog on, son. Yeah. Thanks very much. You haven't signed your name on the dotted line. Cheerio. I totally agree. Um, And and people go... People argue, I should say, that, well, we got Rodgers. Why couldn't we get somebody like that? Well, Rodgers' reputation was destroyed after Liverpool. It was, he. we all knew he was, well, Celtic fans definitely believed he was a very, very good manager still. But at least in England, where Rodgers wanted to be a manager, his reputation had been destroyed. So he came up to Celtic to build it up again, and then he moved on. So we either have the type of up-and-coming, very well-respected but maybe not played, maybe not um, coached in a in a big league yet, like Postacoglu, or we take someone who's done going the opposite way and needs to come to Celtic, and that's just a reality. And I think I'm I'm actually the more we all think about it and more talk about it, I'm quite excited. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see how it goes. I think he's got a big job ahead of him. I think it's a big transition, and I hope the Celtic board gives him everything he needs to facilitate that. Yeah. Um, Hearing, um, what's his name, Tom Mackay talk about him saying, yeah, we've got to work together on rebuilding and, you know, modernising the club. That's good to hear. It's not just a, a buzzword. If Dom's coming in saying this is what he wants to do and then Andrew's saying the same thing and they're on the same pathway and they want to build something long-term together, which is what Rogers was doing. He was modernising the club. Mm-hmm. But he took us six, seven, eight years ahead in three years for now, Lenny, to take us back 10 years. Yeah. So yeah. we need to get back to somewhere where we're at a consistent modern level. And if those two are on the same page and working together, I'm I'm actually really excited, looking forward to the season, see what comes of it. Totally agree. Um, yeah, well, I think we should leave it there, to be honest. So, um, yeah, thanks very much for talking to me, Jared. Um, it was good to hear your perspective on... Um, being a Celtic fan in Australia and stuff. Um, Yeah, so this is very much an evolving process, I think, with this new series. So very much appreciate any feedback from anyone who listens, joins the show or has any comments about how they want to improve it and stuff. Um, Yeah, um, and uh, thanks for all the support. Follow us on social media. Um, Don't forget to subscribe, Celtic Down Under, on Spotify or wherever your other streaming services are. All right, and well. at Celtic Down on Twitter and at Johnny Down Under, is it? Or yeah. Johnny Boy? <laughs> Johnny CDU, yeah, on Twitter. Johnny Boy CDU. Find him on Twitter if you want to get involved and you're not an Irish or Scottish Celtic fan, get in touch with him. He'll set you up with one of these as well. So so different being on the other side of the mic for this. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> very, very much is. But yeah, enjoyed it. So um, yeah, thanks for listening and uh, hell, hell. Podcast Network. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 